Through the end of the year, the Banner of Truth is running its annual Christmas special. That means the Banner has its best prices of the year on all of its books. In particular, the multi-volume sets go on steep discount up to 50% off. Readers will be interested to see their new Puritan box sets and the new premium editions of the Valley of Vision, which are now available. Check them out at thebanneroftruth.org and give some gifts this year that will give some lasting spiritual help long after Christmas is over. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. All right, well, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to interview a man that's been in a little bit of trouble recently, gotten so much trouble that President Trump actually heard about it. Uh, I'm talking to the man, the myth, the legend, Gabe Wrench. Gabe, how you doing, man? Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Why don't we go ahead and pray, and then I got a lot of, a lot of fun questions for you. Okay. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you that you have uh, united uh, people across this land and across this world as brothers because of the blood of Jesus. And so I thank you so much for, for Gabe, that he is my brother and I am his. And I pray that today we'd have a, a really good time in this conversation, talking about you, talking about your church, taking a stand, uh, obeying you. And Lord, I pray you'd lead the discussion. I pray it'd be a lot of fun. It would be helpful to anybody that's listening. So we thank you for this time. Trust you'll point us to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Gabe, why don't you go ahead and for those who may not know who you are, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is that you do. I know you wear multiple hats, so kind of just tell us all that you do. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Texas. I was born, raised, baptized in the promised land of Texas. And my dad worked at Texas Instrument and he moved the family to Oregon in 1997. And uh, from there, uh, our family, Oregon was a good move for us growing up in Texas. You know, the, the Christian culture is really strong and 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 uh, everyone's a Christian, you know, culturally at least. Right. And uh, so, but at the same time, it, it can kind of be a, a real lukewarm environment. You just don't know it. And so when we moved to Oregon, gosh, I mean, there's atheists in Oregon, mm. <laughs> you know? And so that <laughs> right. kind of woke us up. Uh, but from there, my brother came to New St. Andrews College, which is in the town I live in now. And I went and played basketball down at, at, uh, in California. And then my brother fin- uh, talked me into finishing my school here at University of Idaho. Okay. And so when I got here, I started getting into college ministry and evangelism and so forth at the University of Idaho. And, and my uh, college pastor uh, became my father-in-law through that whole process because I That's met cool. his daughter through the process and, and I married uh, his daughter in 2005. So uh, kind of fast forward. Uh, oh, and, I, and then um, in 2006, I started, we have a pastoral training program called Greyfriars Hall. Yep. It's a three-year, it's a three-year program. And I've been uh, mostly about 90% through it all. And, uh, and then, uh, I went into the workforce. It was a business development economic firm. And then in 2016, uh, I was serving as a deacon at my church and wanted to do more, uh, ministry. Um, you know, always was trying to figure out how do I fit in the church? How do I fit in it with my gifts and my abilities? I want to do more evangelism and cultural engagement and, and, political engagement i, I right. wanted to bring all those things together and and so i started a podcast with my associate pastor and my, my friend uh chuck knox and and that's what started in 2016 uh, known as cross politic and even before i started with knox and, and toby 
uh, I was doing my own interviews, trying to trying to get things going. Mm-hmm. I interviewed uh, Chief Jeff, Justice Roy Moore before I even had oh, a wow. show, <laughs> and okay. before and before he got defrocked um, from the bench oh, wow. in Alabama. I I interviewed a number of people. It's just a you know I was trying to get things going, trying to figure out how I could fit in this in this world. So anyways, we started cross Baltic in, in 2016, and God's just been really kind to to what we were doing. So basically, I, I'm in media. I mean, I do public relations consulting, and then I host uh, cross politic uh, with my with my buddies and everything. So that's kind of the short of it. Awesome. You're in Idaho, so that means you're probably carrying yeah. a firearm right now. So what's your what's your concealed carry firearm you carry? Yeah, Glock 917 is uh, it's my concealed uh, firearm, and then of course I got a 12 gauge by the bed and a 3030 30 in, in the uh, in the you know throughout the house. Nice. Let's just put it that way. Is it kind of like <laughs> a each room thing and each drawer thing? You've got something there. Uh, no, not quite. I got kids. I got kids, yeah. so gotta, gotta gotta be careful about that. But I'm a uh, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of that going on. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, we we in Illinois, we've got a really strict concealed carry. It's it's really ridiculous when you look at the Illinois Constitution and I mean the United States Constitution but we've got to go through a 18 or 16 hour course and then you got to wait 120 days and uh-huh. it's been a, a grueling process but I just went through that and uh-huh. I guess not really grueling just an annoying process but I ended up yeah. picking up a I had a uh, I had a, a Smith and Wesson 38 special revolver okay and I didn't want to carry a revolver so I sold that and I picked up a uh, a Taurus G2C, which a lot of people made fun of me for, but yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot, yeah. it's com- comparable to the Glock. It comes apart right, right, you know, pretty much the same way that a Glock yeah. comes apart, but yeah. it's been yeah. a lot of fun. I got, I, I have a Taurus uh, 357. Do you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you like, you yeah. like it? it? It packs a punch, man. It, it's not, it's, it's hard to aim. Uh, you know, it's a short barrel, uh, 357. Um, it, it packs a punch though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So you got all these different things that you got going on. I admire the the fact that you guys started cross politic. I've been a listener for a long time now and really the fight laugh peace network as it's grown. It's been a lot of fun just to listen and learn. And, you know, a lot of guys are turning their attention, I think to Moscow and to founders down in Florida, just because they appreciate so much, you know, men speaking with clarity about the truth and about politics and things that, you know, Christians in general have not been prepared to talk about, or at least scared to talk about, and you guys do it with clarity and conviction. And I think, I think men in general are tired of just the, the squishy middle that won't speak about things that need to be spoken to. And you guys do that. Has that been the response that you've gotten from a lot of listeners? Just a overwhelming thank you for just speaking with clarity and truth and backbone. Has that been a common response? Yeah, I think um, that, you know, this has been one of my concerns with the evangelical church for, uh, you know, a long time. I mean, I, I, I was, I remember doing a high school Bible study with about three or four uh, pastors, uh, 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 high school pastors, basically in town. I uh, mean, this must've been started back in like 2010 or 11 or something like that. Okay. And I remember a number of the high school pastors were, we're doing a Bible study for public school kids here in town. Mm. And I remember one of them just saying, you know, there's just a lot of gray areas in the Bible. There's just a lot of gray areas in scriptures. And, you know, how do we know, how do we know, how do we know? And, and that's, I think, been kind of the general sentiment of evangelical leadership Yeah, is they've been hesitant to form an opinion or to, you know, use biblical uh, principles and uh, to extrapolate, you know, how should we be thinking about politics or, the, or this president or this, you know, uh, news piece or whatever. 
and mm-hmm. and that's been uh, that's been a real problem. I don't mind if people disagree with my my opinion, but I think we should formulate what we think the Bible says yeah. about you know voting for President Trump or not voting for President Trump. You know, mm-hmm. and and so I think people have been very grateful for uh, our approach and how we've tried to take the scriptures and apply it to every area of our current political and cultural problems that are going on. And like yeah. I said, I, I mean I think. I think we need to have good biblical reasoning and logic and principles and anchoring what we're saying into each te- into a text in the Bible, uh, and I think that should be the the effort, uh, the the uh, uh, work that we should be putting in as Christians is trying mm-hmm. to figure that out because God's God's word is light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path, and and we want to shine the word of God everywhere. Yeah, and even is. if you know, even if we're um, trying to make uh, trying to sort through and say, okay, how does the scriptures approach this? Because we know the Bible um, is, is God gave us his word to help us with every area of our life. So let's, let's bring it there and make mm-hmm. it happen. So the response has been fantastic and, and God's been kind. And I think a lot of, I mean, we had our fight left, our first annual conference. We yeah. should have been there. It was a lot of fun. Uh, no, I wanted to, we're only like three hours away. I'm hoping next yeah. year. We make yeah. It. And so we had our first conference at the beginning of October and it wasn't, I mean, we're Presbyterians. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a Presbyterian conference. It was not a Reformed Baptist conference. I mean, I think the majority of people there were some sort of evangelical who wanted to learn how to fight, who loves God's word, and and is kind of, they talked to at that conference, told me that they'd left their church in the last six months because of the whole COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. Their, their church leadership is just not even leading well through the whole shutdown and, and COVID problems. And so it's, uh, I mean, I think, um, I, I think the new unity is forming around people who want to not apologize for any verse of the Bible and want to figure out how the Bible applies to every area of life and that want to fight and not, not be cowed into staying inside their church. Agreed. That's so good. That's so good. So part of this that you're talking about, I mean, has led you to run for office. And so you're, I mean, you're running for office in Moscow. I'd love to Love to for you to tell us why you're doing that, and don't you know that we're not supposed to run for politics? For goodness' sake, Gabe. I mean, that's that's not cool. I mean, this, we're not, our kingdom is not of this world. Why in the world are you doing that? Come on. Yeah, yeah. So a couple things. One is uh, we've been saying on the show for four years that Christians just need to get involved in business, and Christians need to get involved in politics. Christians need to get involved in media. You know, so we've been encouraging that. Um, you know, we want um, Christians have the Holy Spirit. Why would we not want them in every area of functioning in every area of our society? So um, there's kind of the general broad principle there. The uh, I was I worked for five months trying to find someone to run for county commissioner in my district. Hmm. I had been working hard trying to fi- figure it out, and I couldn't find anybody. The, literally the morning of the last day to fill out paperwork to run for county commissioner, my buddy calls me from Texas and says, "Hey." you can't find anybody. You just need to run. <laughs> so yeah. um, I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't planning on doing it. And, and, you know, kind of the reason why I was so motivated uh, to find someone to run was because our current County commissioners have raised taxes four years in a row. Okay. So every four years they, they're raising our taxes. And I had uh, a constituent, you know, about a month ago, call me, call, found my cell phone, tracked me down, called me and said, my property taxes have doubled in four years. My Double. goodness. And it's just unbelievable. So I think people are really discouraged and frustrated. And the problem is, you know, the dynamic in Idaho. So Idaho is an overwhelmingly conservative state. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is I live in a, there's, I live in one of the only two counties in Idaho that vote for a Democrat president. 
Okay. Um, so I'm in, a, I'm in a, one of the only liberal counties in Idaho, two of them uh, in Idaho. And so it really is a challenge and a fight to, uh, to, you know, get the seat. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very similar. Moscow is very similar to where we, we're at in Carbondale, Illinois. Carbondale is a blue dot in the middle of red Southern Illinois. And we actually yeah. passed, I passed her in the same city as Bill Smith. Bill's a CREC church, Cornerstone Reformed. Uh, but Carbondale is very similar. It's about 25,000 people, very, very liberal city in a very conservative region in Illinois. So we have yeah. Chicago and man, you should, our, our property taxes here are ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I'm paying like almost uh, over $5,000 a year for property taxes. It's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But uh, so we need somebody here to do, to, to run for office and change, change that. Uh, yeah. So now it, I'm sure for some of your people, the arrest, the infamous at this point arrest, mm-hmm. charged them up, fired them up and they're, they're rallying and saying, Hey, we're, we're, we're going to vote for wrench, man. This is the guy mm-hmm. that we need to get behind. I'm sure there's probably some others though that thought, Oh, come on now. Why don't you just put that stinking mask on and, Tell us what, what happened, and a lot of us saw the video. We saw, as our family, we watched the second psalm sing after the first mm-hmm. one, and mm-hmm. we're just singing and praying for you guys and my, my boys. You. I've got, I got two sons. I've got a, a six-year-old and a two-year-old. We've got a little girl that's going to be born here in a couple months. And uh, so we were just gathered around on the bed watching and praying. And, um, uh, but tell us about that, what, what led up to that, and why it is. Like, what's the big why behind the psalm sing? and the interposition really that you're doing for the yeah. people in Moscow. Well, let me uh, kind of go back and give some, some historical details that I think really um, help uh, flush some of the things out that I'll say here in a minute. Um, our county commissioner, uh, excuse me, our city council. So I'm in, I, I'm in, I live in the city of Moscow. Actually, I live in the county, but my address is Moscow. Okay. Um, but the city of Moscow is the biggest city in our county. And, uh, and it holds a lot of the influence for the county anyway. So, but our city, our mayor and our uh, city council passed a resolution on July 2nd that required everyone to wear a mask where they could not social distance. Mm-hmm. And that included a citation of a misdemeanor up to a thousand dollar fine or six months in jail. Mm-hmm. So really heavy handed, you know, um, resolution. And so that was July 2nd, you know, Black Lives Matter came through town. They gave them a permit to do a, ra- to do a rally on I think July 11th, you know, mm-hmm. our uh, church and our church, our way of kind of protesting is to go sing Psalms in downtown Moscow or like what we did for when I got arrested, we were singing Psalms at the city hall in the city hall parking lot. Mm-hmm. So we had done that a couple, you know, three, four, five times, I think throughout this whole COVID shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I led a uh, you know, uh, business. So they'd shut down the business. Our mayor voted to shut down the businesses back in March, like mm-hmm. downtown restaurants, all this stuff. Um, and so I led a open up business rally back in, you know, April, uh, end, okay. of, uh, uh, end of April. And so we'd been kind of involved. I mean, a lot of this has been just unjust, unconstitutional. Our mayor tells businesses to stop, you know, business owners to stop providing. They got to shut down. They got to stop providing for their family, their employees, yeah. all that stuff. And yet he still takes his city paycheck, you know, so there's a yeah. lot of unjust standards going on. And so we've kind of been um, protesting that. So on September 21st, the mayor and city council met again to mm-hmm. extend the resolution through January 5th, January 5th. And like, keep in mind, there is no emergency. You cannot define an emergency in our county. Virtually zero hospitalizations and no deaths. And young people are getting the coronavirus here in our town. They're the healthy population that should be getting it. No one, there, there's no emergency in our town. 
you can't define it. And so that was um, on Monday night as they're voting to extend this to January. This is September 21st. They're voting to extend this to January 5th. Like overwhelmingly, the feedback was do not do this. The population, mm -hmm. the citizens were saying, do not do this, do not do this. I think only maybe one or two people stood up in favor of it over like this two hour testimony wow. period. Uh, and so they weren't listening to the people. Uh, on Tuesday, our pastor said, well, let's just go do another, you know, psalm scene protest. And so uh, uh, on Wednesday, we meet about 4.45 right after mm -hmm. work. Uh, as everyone can kind of walk home or drive home from work, we meet at 4.45 in the city hall parking lot. And this cops are already there. They tell our pastor, hey, if no one's social distancing and not wearing a mask, we're going to cite them and, and potentially arrest them. Right. And so uh, our pastor relays that to everybody. He says, just so you guys know, this is, they're going to cite you and, and arrest you if, if needed. And so the cops, uh, so we start singing. No one moves. Everyone stays mm -hmm. still. And, and our city employees, the, the mayor made the city employees go out into the parking lot and paint six dots at six feet apart. Okay. So they could, so you could stand on a dot and be six feet apart. And so they can actually objectively see that these people aren't social distancing. Right. Um, and, and that was, it was just unbelievable that our city parking lot is still full of these dots right now. It's embarrassing. <laughs> and uh, so the cops, as soon as, as soon as we started singing, the cops approached us and I was just on the closest side, really the first person that they could come and approach. I wasn't selected. I wasn't handpicked out of the crowd. You know, they weren't, they weren't right. targeting me at all. They come up to my mom who's next to me and she, they ask her, are you with this man? And my mom says, this is my son. And then I put my arm around my buddy next to me and said, but this is my friend. Mm -hmm. Obviously signaling. Yeah. Let's, you know, I'm not social distancing and I'm not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. So the officer proceeds to ask for my identification. And I like a lot of people have said that this is like a publicity stunt. You know, he's just trying to get cross politic more fame, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they had never even cited anybody for this resolution in the two and a half months that this resolution had been in play. Right. Never cited anybody. At most, I know they gave a couple people warnings and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Black Lives Matter had a protest in downtown. I mean, like they, they just never cited anybody. So I, I had no point even thought that they were going to, I thought at most they might give people warnings there. Right. Or whatever. So, but um, the officer asked for my identification and I said, um, officer, you don't have to do this. And he said, um, please give me your identification. And I said, officer, you have a duty to protect my first amendment rights. You have a duty to protect the citizens and your duty is to serve us and not the mayor. Mm -hmm. Of course, it, right, your duty is the citizens. Your duty is the constitution, right. not the mayor's, you know, unconstitutional resolutions. And uh, the officer said, please give me your ID. And I said, officer, you know, deep down that this is wrong. You know, mm -hmm. this is wrong. This is wrong. And, and then he said, I'm asking you one more time, give me your ID. And I said, and I said, officer, you don't have to do this. And as, as he's, and he proceeds to arrest me, he takes away my hymn book and mm -hmm. hands it to another officer and puts cuffs around me as Gosh. Psalm 20 is singing in the background. Psalm 20 is singing in the background. And, you know, Psalm 20 is some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord, our God. Mm -hmm. It was just a, a comical <laughs> contrast in some ways right. of what was going on. Um, so our officers um, were in, uh, they're in a tough position. The mayor mm -hmm. was requiring them to, um, uh, to enforce his unconstitutional resolution 
and and the officers should have been more concerned about our First Amendment rights than the mayor's resolution. But you know they they proceeded to arrest me, and again like the hypocrisy and arbitrariness of this whole thing when you create um, petty law like this, mm -hmm. it becomes impossible to enforce evenly and fairly. Right. So our mayor on September fifth was. Uh, officiating a wedding without social distancing and not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. Our mayor, September 5th. So I can't worship in the public square. I can't worship at city hall, but he can, he can officiate a wedding yeah. um, on September 5th without wearing a mask and without social distancing. Mm -hmm. You know, why am I getting arrested? And our mayor's not, this is, it's just um, absolutely hypocritical. And it's kind of, but this is what petty resolutions do. Mm -hmm. and, and so I got arrested. I went, they took me to the County jail. And it handed me over to the sheriff's office. So now the deputies are involved and I'm in jail for, for two hours. Um, and they released me without posting bond. I didn't have to post bond or anything, but while I'm in, while I'm in jail, I'm just like preaching at them. I'm like, I thought I was going to pay, have to pay bond. I thought I was going to have to pay some money and everything. And I'm right. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to get my money's worth, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so anybody that would come up to my, my door, I'd peek my head through the, through the little, hole in the door and i'll be like you guys know this is wrong this is not right this is i was right. taxing my first amendment rights you know we're just preaching at him um the arresting officer comes over to explain my resolution through the through the hole in the door and says uh hey look um i'm citing you for breaking the resolution i'm not citing you for obstruction obstruction okay. was basically me not giving over my license okay um okay. so i wouldn't give over my identification uh and he's all i'm just citing you for breaking the resolution uh, resolution that's it Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, oh, thank you, Massa. So merciful, Massa. And <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't like that too much. But it's like, are you, are you saying you're being merciful? Is that right. what you're doing? And as they're, as they're releasing me from jail, um, you know, they're, you know, getting information or whatever from me to release me from jail. And I'm sitting there in the chair talking to the deputy that's, you know, checking me out on the computer. And across the way, through the hallway into the other office, there's two deputies not social distancing and not wearing a mask. Yeah. yeah in the so same silly. jail that I got arrested for, and, and I walk over there as I'm leaving, I walk over, it's like, officer, we need to arrest these people. They aren't wearing masks and they aren't social distancing. And they asked, they said, please leave. And I said, mm -hmm. no, I just got arrested for this. You guys just released me out of jail for doing this. <laughs> and the eyes on their face were like, they basically pushed me out. They're like, right, please, please leave, you know, because they, they know how stupid this is, but this yeah. is, we've created, um, we've created this problem because we don't want our officers to think for themselves. We don't, yeah. we don't want our deputies exactly. to think for themselves. We don't disciple our own uh, police force on how to think constitutionally and biblically about these petty resolutions. So they're stuck. They're jammed. They can't do anything except for push me out and use force. Right. So what's happened since then? That's been about a month, a month and a half ago, a month ago. So what's developed in Moscow with you? Did that hurt or help your campaign? Uh, what's oh. developed since then? Uh, you know, it's um, pretty toxic for my community. You know, this is a, um, a very polarized community. You have your liberals and you have your conservatives and liberals, um, at least as you know, I think there's a silent majority here in our county. I think mm -hmm. we should be conservative, but we aren't because the silent majority just doesn't get out and vote. They like to hunt and, you know, just leave me alone kind of thing. Right. Um, but the, uh, our town is polarized for sure. And this caused a lot of polariz more polarization on this mm -hmm. issue. Um, I, you know, the, the next day I was on Laura Ingram, Glenn Beck. I mean, I was up and down 
the uh, um, the interview cycle. I mean, on Thursday, I, every half hour, I was interviewed from 6.30 a.m. in the morning until 7.30 at night. Wow. Um, so it, it embarrassed our city council. It embarrassed our mayor. This is, it, this is a national embarrassment for mm-hmm. arresting citizens for singing psalms, uh, you know, while not wearing a mask. Right. Uh, that's embarrassing. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, you know, I don't know if I, I know I probably gained some votes in all this. I know I probably lost some votes in all this. I know there's been some old guard conservatives in town who are confessing Christians who aren't voting for me and they've voiced their opinions and they've, they've said, you know, I should love my neighbor and wear a mask. And, mm-hmm. and I said, you should love your neighbor and protect my freedoms. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, just the, the reason they can't reason very well though. The um, I've, I've been very, I think one of the things I, I told our state Republican party, this, and I don't think I'm a very popular figure with our state Republican party either. I told our state Republican party, I was like, what we're experiencing right now is a failure of the baby boomer generation to lead. Mm-hmm. because they're the yeah. ones that are all in power they're the right. ones all in leadership when i um i led a, a open up business rally at city hall um uh, back in april i didn't uh liberal business owners were thanking me mm-hmm. but i didn't have one conservative business owner over the age of 60 thank me in fact they were all against me yeah well wow. because they're all scared of the covid they've all made their money they're mm-hmm. all retiring. They all, they financially, it doesn't mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so all of, you know, so anybody over 60 conservative over 60 was against me in yeah. opening up businesses because my buddies and my friends in town were not able to pay for their own food, pay for their own and pay their own employees, raise, you know, pay for their own families, uh, business bills, taxes, all that stuff. And, um, and yet the old guard in town was against me mm-hmm. because they've made their money. They made their retirement and so we really, the old generation, the older generation who we need to honor and respect in all this, uh, but yeah. at the same time, uh, they have, their leadership has failed us in this whole panic. Yeah. Yeah. The boomers are an interesting generation. We could talk a lot about them, but there seems to me to be a divide with the boomers of those who actually believe in the authority of the scriptures and want to want to honor and obey the Lord. There, but there is a massive group of those boomer, the boomer age that is highly pragmatic and wants to keep people happy. And so they are one way with one group of people, another way with another group of people. And, you know, in a lot of ways, we're always doomed to, to, to fail in the same ways the generations before us did if we don't learn from them. But I, I agree, there's a, in large part, the boomers have, have created a lot of problems, not that they're not, not that they're all problematic. Obviously, there's godly men and women that are in that age yep. group, but but uh, I think that's a good and fair assessment. In Illinois, we're beginning to lock down in the southern part. We're beginning a lockdown again. And uh, I have a friend I played ball with in high school. Their restaurant that he owns, they own like a, a bar and grill restaurant kind of place. And they're going to have to shut down. And now they're saying everybody has to go outside and eat. But it's now it's getting cold. And yeah. so what are they going to do? Have tents with fire, you know, you know, those big fire heater things. Uh, churches now, churches, we're not going to close down. Basically, there's nothing that we will ever close down. We closed down for two weeks and did online mm-hmm. stuff. And then we did out, outdoor things for about four or five weeks. And we've been back at regular worship with no restrictions whatsoever since the end of May, I believe, or yeah. end of May or the beginning of May. I can't remember which it was. But wh- why do you think through all this, through things that are pretty unprecedented, not pretty unprecedented, that are unprecedented, do you think the church has been unprepared? And why is it now that in the fall and the winter that these restrictions are going to come back? Why do you think so many churches are going to shut down and simply get in line rather than 
do what MacArthur has done, do what countless others have done all throughout this country, what churches like are, like we are doing in our region, why do you think so many are just getting in line and think that that is their moral obligation or biblical obligation? I don't understand it. What, what do you think? Generally speaking, the evangelical church in the U.S. has taught for decades that the church is not essential. Hmm. The church can, you can go to Super Bowl game on Sunday, skip church, go to Super Bowl game. You can go, you know, all your kids' soccer, baseball activities, if they're on Sunday, you know, go. Um, you don't need to go to worship uh, God on Sunday. Um, you can schedule around, you know. Uh, so we've looked at the church as not being essential for decades. And then in addition, is uh, the church has, I, I, I don't think the church believes in the authority that God has given the church. Hmm. Yeah. When, God, when God gives authority, he gives true authority. You know, when God gives authority to a husband and wife over their children, he gives true authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when God gives the government authority, Romans 13, the God's given the government authority, that's true authority. It's God given. Uh, and they need to exercise it for good and do, do justice to those who are doing evil. Uh, and the same for the church. God has given the church true authority here on earth. Keys of the kingdom, baptizing, the sacraments, preaching the gospel, discipling the nations. God's given true authority to the church. And I don't think the evangelical church really believes and acknowledges the authority that God's given them uh, on this earth. So which means mm-hmm. the authority, the only authority that the church, the only true legitimate authority that the church believes that is here on earth is the government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least the, right. they're acting like it. Yeah. They might, they might give, you might say, no, the church doesn't really have true credit authority, but, but they aren't acting like it. And which mm-hmm. is why they buckle under, you know, a, mask mandate uh you know uh, in a in a uh in a virus that is um been so politicized mm-hmm. uh and, and they just buckle under it and it's because i don't believe that they they really sincerely believe in the true authority that god has given them yeah i agree completely i think one of the reasons that i've been thinking through my listeners are a little bit familiar with now i've talked to a couple of the people that i've interviewed about this but one of the things I've recognized is that we have so idolized as the church, the mission. Uh, We've so idolized public witness, trying to preserve uh, our reputation with outsiders that we are sacrificing obedience to God. And we don't understand the categories of what obedience to God is and what is an Acts 529 situation. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about provision for families. And I wrote a little note down here. Uh, God has told us first Timothy chapter five, that if we don't provide for our household, we're worse than an unbeliever. We don't really even have a frame of reference for what that means to be a worse than an unbeliever. We've been told that we're to work for six days, six days, you shall work and to rest on the Sabbath. And so the state comes along and they're saying, no, you can't work. You can't provide for your family. You can't gather for worship. And it seems like because we're wanting to preserve some sort of you know, you know, we want to be liked so much that we're not willing to obey God, just the basics of the Christian faith, do what Jesus commands. And uh, have you seen that? Have you seen, um, I mean, I'm just trying to think through an excessive situation where it seems like there's an elevation of public witness over basic obedience to Jesus. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's connected a little bit to the true authority comments earlier too, yeah. where our ecclesiology, our view of ecclesiology is pretty bankrupt in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 our view of of the church's relationship to uh, ministering to their congregation, to their members, to their families, is is all messed up. So, you know, one of the things that 
everyone get everyone thinks church planning is sexy or college ministry is sexy or you know the church needs to be uh doing this particular ministry or this or the church needs to have a worship band we we've looked at all these things as uh i've no I, church planning is great we need to do it and this is not a comment against the that per se it's a comment against the culture of what we're doing and why we're doing it yeah that's good um uh what happens no it's easy to plant a church it's hard i'm not saying this but in, in some sense it's easy to plant a church because it's exciting it's sexy and it's cool uh it's hard to raise children for 18 years mm-hmm. that's good that's hard that's that's where god has commanded us to focus on and yet we've neglected our families we've neglected the ministry of the family for decades and opted in for church planting or uh college ministry or you know uh you know even you know evangelism at the abortion clinics i'm totally for that in abortion mm-hmm. now all that please yes jesus but what we're doing is we're actually neglecting the first and most primary area that the church should be hitting it out of the park i mean think about it yeah it technically reformation and revival should technically just be a numbers game Okay. Who's having kids? Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Who's killing kids? Yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Who should be raising faithful children? Christians. God's mm-hmm. given us his clear word. God's given us uh, a vision for what it is to raise godly children. What it looks like. We have a whole book of Proverbs on wisdom. We have Paul's writings on the marriage and the family. Uh, we have a blueprint and yet we're failing miserably at this, this numbers game. The world is killing us. The world is winning when it comes to um, whose who's, who's side is winning. And just in terms, I'm just you know, trying to bring this down just in terms of a number game. Yeah. We're losing because we're handing our children over to the world. The church has failed miserably. And oh, uh, public school Christian kids, over 80% of them lose their faith by the end of their freshman year in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over yep. 80% of them. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of Christian schools are having the same problems. Their kids are losing their faith in their freshman year college, that kind of thing. But, but I think the point of that stat is the church is doing awful at discipling, uh, discipling, discipling and raising their kids in the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so um, I forgot the original part of your, your question, but <laughs> I think that what the, <laughs> I think the, the church needs to reset, re, re, um, cast, uh, not, not cast a new vision, but, but um, uh, re- reformation and revival needs to go back to the basics of what started it 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. Worship is central, raising your kids in the knowledge of the Lord and the Protestant work ethic. Uh, that is, that is where we need to get back to the basics in all yeah. this. Yeah. Yes. And amen. Hey, we could keep, we could keep going and ha- I'm just enjoying the conversation, but I want to give you a chance to do what I ask everybody to do at the very end. And I want to set you up and just give you a real easy softball pitch and give you an opportunity to praise God for his grace. And so Gabe, to, to wrap up this interview, and then I'll give you an opportunity to tell people to find out more about cross politic and some other things. But first, why don't you just tell us, why do, why do you love Jesus so much? You know, um, it's been an interesting, I mean, God, God's grace has been very, um, immense, very great in my life. I was raised in Texas in a Christian family by the grace of God. 
But at the same time, I was raised in a family that was um, taking our faith and our relationship with God for granted. That's what, that's kind of the culture that Texas curates because it is generally speaking a Christian culture in a lot of ways. And everyone's a Christian in a lot of ways in Texas. And so I had uh, taken God uh, for granted, the work that he's doing in my life, uh, you know, um, and then when my dad moved the family to Oregon, I already alluded to this earlier, I uh, ended up, I remember going to Oregon. I had no friends there. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up meeting some, but I just didn't, I didn't fit in. Like the Eugene, Oregon culture was just so different. But I was a basketball player. I was a, a athlete, you know, uh, I was just so different. I was a Texan, you know, and I remember um, in Oregon, I started, you know, praying like I meant it. I started reading the Bible. Like, you know, I met my first atheist, I think in Oregon. I'm half joking, but I, I actually think that actually really did happen. Uh, and I started reading the Bible like I meant it. I was like, okay, if, you know, if there's people in this world, in this earth who, who believe that there is no God, well, I need to figure it out for myself. Mm-hmm. And then when I went down to California, I went down to California to play basketball. It was my first time out of the house. And I remember, I remember the, the Sunday, the, the Saturday night, we're moving in. I'm moving in with all my basketball teammates into into apartment. I was the only Christian uh, in that apartment, although they all said they were, but I was the only one uh, really trying to live it out. And I remember waking up Sunday morning and saying, I need to go to church. If I don't go to church, I'm going to lose my faith here. Now, uh, it, that moment felt so heavy for me. Mm-hmm. And and of course I wouldn't just lose my faith right there in that moment. You know, I wouldn't walk away from the Lord just in that moment. It would obviously probably be a slide, but I remember like that moment was so heavy. It's like, I need to go to church. I need to get up. I need to own what my parents gave me. Yeah. And, and I look back and just God's kindness. I mean, I, you know, the student athlete, I mean, basketball, you get away with everything. I was at a community college and I got away with everything, mm-hmm. you know, grades. So I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, I had teammates get arrested. The coach would bail them out. I mean, <laughs> you just get away with everything. Um, and so, but that, that I remember I, I drove around town. This is back in 99 before I had a GPS, so I, before I had a cell phone, uh-huh. you know, none of that, you know, you had a phone book and you drove around town. So I drove around town and just found this temple Baptist church in Fairfield, California. And I uh, walked in and, and I was like, these are my people. I didn't know anybody there. And I was like, this is where I need to be. So there's this moments where, um, I didn't quite know the gravity of what was going on. I can look back and I can see it now, mm-hmm. but just God, just um, putting these small decisions in my life that had Im- infinite implications on where I went and, and, and God protecting me from sin uh, and keeping me faithful. And then my brother, you know, he was in Moscow by that time. Okay. He started getting on me for, for um, you know, as a student athlete, I'd pierce my ears and just, made some silly decisions that I didn't have a good biblical reasoning for. Mm-hmm. And so my brother started challenging me on this. And so, um, uh, I, I'm that, that challenge, like, why did you do this? Why, why are you piercing your ear? Why are you, you know, are you being influenced by the world here? You know, why are you making some of these decisions? And so, uh, my brother started challenging me. And so that, that made me want to start getting more, uh, dig deeper into the scriptures about, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing here? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my brother talked to me and coming to Moscow, Idaho. I mean, I growing up in Texas, I mean, you, you, Texas is the center of the universe. Texas can secede from the union at any 
any minute it wants to. Texas can is self-sustainable, has its own oil, has its own economy, doesn't need the United States. You know, it's that every caricature of Texas is actually true. And 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 so you think you're the great center. Tex-Mex. You think you're the cent <laughs> exactly. You got the food, everything, barbecue, you know. Um and uh so I never thought I was going to leave Texas. I mean, I thought I'm growing up here. This is my state. This is my people. And, I, mm-hmm. and, and when God moved us out of, out of Texas, I mean, that God really began to work on my heart in a way that um, was, was uh, really needed. So God's mm-hmm. grace. I mean, I've, I've always known Christ, like C.S. Lewis says, I've, I've never known. I, I can't exactly pinpoint when the sun comes up, when the sun rises mm-hmm. uh, and, and the same thing with me, but I can, I can identify like key moments in my life where, where God was just like, I'm going to keep you on the straight and narrow brother. It's awesome. And so God's grace has been um, amazing. And I'm very grateful for where I'm at now. I've got a wonderful wife who loves the Lord and loves my children. And, and we you know when I got arrested uh, on September 23rd, I think was the date she said, you know, I, I knew someday you'd get arrested. I'm like, <laughs> what, what vibe? As your husband, I've been giving off uh-huh. that I was going to get arrested someday. <laughs> but her, her point there was she was just cheering me on and rooting me on. And, yeah. and uh, so, I, you know, uh, it's been awesome to have a, a wife who, who sees the plays that are being run against our culture and in our town and uh, to be able to support me through that. So and that's there awesome. you go. That's so good. God's faithful, isn't he? Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Before I let you go here, why don't you go ahead and tell us, people listening, if they like, hey, I like this Gabe guy, where can I listen to more? Tell us where we can find more about about what you're doing. Yeah, crosspolitic.com or fightlaughfeast.com. That's our network website. And of course, you can find us out on all all the social media channels. My Twitter handle is GMWrench, GMWrench, R-E-N-C-H is my Twitter handle. And uh, yeah, so you can follow us, come to our conference next October. And uh, appreciate uh, uh, appreciate my time with you. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.